we're live. Live. What's going on, fellas? Yeah, what's happening? Well, are we okay? So, are you going to introduce me at a certain point, or are we just going right off the right off the top? We actually were planning yeah. on not introducing you at all. Yeah, nobody knows <laughs> who you are. We, we want to yeah. keep it that way. You're a strange disembodied voice on the recording <laughs> yeah um all right so <laughs> welcome to yeah. left on red folks uh as always uh i'm cam i'm here with evan and then today we have a very special guest our good friend matt heisler who's joining the show uh finally maddie heiss what's up fellas what's going what's on what's going man? on we i wish oh, oh go ahead matt i am i'm stoked to be here but i wish it was under less depressing circumstances Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the reason that we brought on Matty Heiss uh, is because he, like myself, is a massive fan of both Michael K. Williams and The Wire. Cam is also a fan of both of those, although you know you haven't not as big of a fan of The Wire. Well, but, only because I'm 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 in the middle of it. I guess I don't yeah. I don't have massive fan status because I have yet to finish uh, the series. But you're, you're partially loaded. You're, yeah. So oh, well, my question would be. My question would be, when did you start The Wire? All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, that's it. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm not good at binging shows like the rest of the world. Uh, I started The Wire like nine months ago, and I'm like halfway like through season ago. three. <laughs> yeah. No, I started it right at the start of uh, – or maybe right before – the first COVID quarantine. So I guess maybe about a year ago, mm. maybe longer than a year ago. That's Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not doing yourself any favors. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. trying. I, so I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I, I watched the first two seasons pretty quickly. It's been 25 years. <laughs> I have a hard time. Okay. I have a hard time. There was, there was a, a, at least a three month period where every human being was locked in their house. Yeah. And and he got halfway through season three. <laughs> well, I did my best. And That's I'll put it this way. So it. the last show that I binge watched was Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. The last show yeah. that I binge watched that I enjoyed was uh, uh, Breaking Bad. So 80%. that should give you a time for And Breaking Bad, that's taking me back to, like, when I lived with slash above you guys. So, like, yeah. that's yeah. the time frame we're talking about. I'm not good at it. I have, like pretty hardcore attention deficit issues and i can't i can't mm-hmm. even shows i really like i can't watch yeah. more well, than well see that's how i am with time. with like films i tell me to sit down for a 90 minutes and give my undivided attention to a movie and i cannot do it but i will watch five fucking episodes of a yeah, tv show exactly I'll, yeah right. yeah no i'm the same way i have trouble with movies as much as i love movies oftentimes like even like two hour movies i have to like take a little break in the middle yeah oh yeah yeah, but i you know i can i i watched an entire season of better call Saul in one day yeah or like uh i think i think on sunday i watched like seven episodes of star trek deep space nine in a row no problem (laughs) so i watched i watched two episodes of the wire last night and i started a third episode and like i got halfway through before i realized that i had no idea what the fuck was going on in episode three now i mean this is actually like episode seven of season three but i was like i have no idea what's going on and i I had to turn off that's just like i find myself wandering and i can't do it chaos is going on yeah yeah that's what dude oh my god it's so okay so season two though season two fucking ruled 
Yeah. yeah, I was one of those guys who was a little confused, maybe not as drawn in to season two as I was season one the first yeah. time, but yeah. I would say now it's my second favorite season after uh, season four, which I, okay, Evan, yeah, I'm, Evan I'm, can relate to. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Uh, four, mm-hmm. four is, I think, like the finest season of television ever. Uh, ever then I, yep. Yeah, and then I would have season two. And then I'd probably go three one, and then five. Everybody shits on five, you know. I would go one three five. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. See, that's fair too. Yeah, the season, original season rules. Yeah. Season one and... of The Wire sucked me in, and like I've I've said that I'm not a TV guy. I have a hard time yeah. with TV. I watched season one of The Wire in about a week. Like yeah, yeah. Okay. That's and All season right. two. I then waited like a few months and watched that in about two weeks. So yeah, um, yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's like a dummy who can't watch TV. They're yeah. pretty. They're pretty. That good. David Simon, he can. Uh, he can. You know, he, he knows a couple things about a couple people. He makes yeah, the heck out of like, a TV did, show. Yeah, except he is like the most obnoxious piece of shit. Like on Twitter, it's like oh, it would almost like back ruin it. Except the wire is so amazing. The only right. other thing of his I've watched was uh, the plot against America, and that was that was decent. It wasn't great, but. Before we... I have been meaning to do the David Simon projects, but then I'm just like, yeah. well, I I could just start the Watch. wire. Over. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've watched the wire twice, and it's uh just as good the second time. Should I tell you guys how many times I've seen it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. Right. This this current rewatch I'm on right now is number eleven. Are you oh fucking my kidding God. me? Yeah, it's it's now okay. it is a. It's a yearly tradition for me. And the first couple of years that I discovered it, well, I watched it a couple of times in that year. Because yeah. it was like you would discover it for yourself, and then you'd make other people watch it, and you'd watch it yeah, with yeah. them. Right. But now it's like the fall's coming, yeah. putting the wire on. Nice. Oh, Damn, I love 11, it. dude. That's brutal. Mm-hmm. I, guess I, shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because you are, and I, I'm putting this out into the world because I think this is like the most impressive accolade that I can lay at your feet. As far as I know, you are the only person I know to have 100%ed Breath of the Wild. Yes. <laughs> and Damn, that is dude. an astounding feat of well, endurance and commitment. So one, I guess I'm not surprised. One person's astounding feat is another person's uh, year-and-a-half-long torture. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't 100% complete that game because I wanted to. <laughs> it was a compulsion. Yeah. So I'm on my second playthrough right now. I've never 100%ed it, but I will say uh, I'm I'm far I'm taking far more time with it on my second playthrough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've done all the big shit, like I've got all the divine beasts, I've got the master sword, and now I'm just mm-hmm. going around. And so Brad came in, our my roommate, your friend. Uh, came in and was sitting with me the other day and he was watching me and he was like, oh man, you're doing good. You've got all this stuff, great great progress, whatever. And he was like, how many Korok seeds do you have? And I was like, oh, I think I've got like 80. And he was like, cool, you know there's 900, right? And I was like, I was like, no fucking way. You're exaggerating. There's no way Matt Heisler sat and got 900 Korok seeds. And he goes, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's like 900. And I looked it up, it's 900. So hats off to you, my friend, because... What, what do you get? Right. You get a, a literal hunk of shit. For yeah, it. it's nothing. <laughs> the game gives you nothing. But at Although, the same time, 
Every time oh, you no, find I one think... and they go, yeah, like you feel like a good person. And then you drop, uh, when it's a rock that you lift yeah. up to find one, you drop the rock on his head. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> um, So what I learned the other day was that I think it's actually the word Hestu or something related to the Korok quest in Japan. Or no, I'm already getting this wrong. <laughs> you, There's a word for good luck in Japanese, I think, that also loosely translates to golden poo. Okay. Or like some some sort of like affirmation that can like also sounds very similar to golden poo or some, something like that. I'm getting it wrong. Don't at me. I think you're getting it right, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah but there's 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 a reason. Very right, my man. Yeah. <laughs> there is a reason why it is that specific, but it's uh, yeah, not all not all tasks are worth doing. Yeah. It, I think by the time that I had 100%ed everything else, I had maybe three to 350 of them, and it was it was a good three months of like a pouring over maps and like just just almost grid searching the land for them, and it's yeah, it's yeah, it's I insane. don't I, it, you're on autopilot. It's not it's not glamorous, but it happened. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, if you look at my, like, hero's journey or whatever it's called across the map, like, I've gone everywhere. So I've got, like, less than 100. And I've been everywhere. Well, you start to pick up patterns, like, there's there's a grove of three trees. Like, there's always going to be one there because of the apple pattern or whatever. Or anytime, especially in the jungle, anytime there's, like, a group of statues that have, like, a fruit offering and one's missing. Like obviously one goes there. Yeah. Um, so you start to pick up on patterns and stuff, but and you know what the most frustrating part is, and then I promise we'll get on topic. Okay. Is that, uh, what's, what's the fire part of the map called? Oh God. Um, I mean, so death mountain, obviously, but I, man, I don't remember the name of the regions. Because they kind of changed it up. It's yeah, not... they changed they changed everything up, and I don't remember I don't remember the name of the regions. I can find it really quickly. Um, there are almost none in that entire region, and like you climb yeah. Death Mountain, and there's like rocks on the top of peaks, and then there's just there isn't a seat underneath it. Like they're they're doing that very deliberately. Right. Oh, it's too blurry. Whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> it's it's in the north. It's in the northwest or the northeast of the map. Death Mountain. Big hot place where you yeah. light yourself on fire unless you wear a, like a space suit. It's the dumbest armor in the game too. Every other yep. suit of armor in the game looks so cool, and that's nice. another thing that I that I love about that game. I love e- equipment. I love uh, mm-hmm. grinding for gear, and that mm-hmm. game fucking absolutely captured that. Right, like I'm a big fan of open world games where the gear degrades and you have to constantly find new gear. Uh, mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls was cool for that until Skyrim when they stopped doing that. Um, so, like, Oblivion, Morrowind, those games, you had to constantly be, like, hunting for gear. Diablo is a cool example. Like, not a super complex game, but you're constantly picking up gear. Breath of the Wild perfected it, right? Yeah, it uh, the Witcher's pretty good, you know? The Witcher, you're constantly picking up gear. But Breath of the Wild is, like, they, they combined simplicity. There's only, like, you know, maybe there's, like... Uh, you know, 10 types of each weapon category. So like swords, bows, great swords, yeah. spears, but you're constantly picking them up. And then as you get to a higher, I don't know, quote unquote level, right? The game is clearly keeping track of your levels. You start to get, 
you know, uh, upgraded versions of the same gear. So, like, you'll get a, 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 a royal sword that has, you know, increased durability or mm-hmm. increased attack, mm-hmm. but never both, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's perfect. Yeah. You're constantly, even when you're at, like, the highest, quote-unquote, level in the game, you're constantly throwing shit away, picking shit up. I love it. It is the most satisfying experience in modern gaming. And I will say, I think Breath of the Wild probably probably takes the cake for like best certainly best open world game possibly best game ever i think it's, it, it, it really yeah it might be and you know i i always it's breath of the wilds witcher 3 and skyrim that are the, those top three mm. for me anyway but yeah. my favorite it just depends on which one i'm playing at the moment witcher 3 yeah. is is up there you know both yeah, of them are the, good you know, I played Witcher 3, and I was like, okay, this is the Skyrim killer. You know, that game yeah. wiped Skyrim off the map for me, you know? And then I played Breath of the Wild, and I was like, I didn't think I'd say it, but this is the Witcher killer. Like, <laughs> Breath of the Wild takes everything good yeah. about the Witcher, distills it, simplifies it, pushes all the jankiness to the side, and is just like, okay, it's everything you liked about that game simplified and perfected, and here you go. Like, I yeah, just think it's I, like, uh... a fabulous game. Yeah, I uh, I still haven't played it, but uh, you know, favorite game ever is definitely Crusader Kings, the series. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> you want to ask what I just did for eight hours today? I guess yeah, I shouldn't say. There are best days of my life that you could say that. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say that Breath of the Wild is my favorite game because for eight straight hours today I played Crusader Kings, so yeah, that's a whole other conversation. The, yeah, you were painting the map a uh, uh, Zoroastrian. Yeah, but anyway, I, uh, anyway. yeah. We, um, we did this for a reason not to we could fill an entire other episode with just those three games yes but, yeah. but we shouldn't when you walk to the garden you gotta watch your back well I beg your pardon walk the straight and narrow track if you walk with Jesus he's gonna save your soul Keep the devil way down in the hole. Why are we gathered here today, gentlemen? We're gathered here today to honor the life and times of the actor Michael K. Williams. Now, this is, as we're recording this, this is what, 24 hours old? This is is still less than two days. Yeah, it happened on Monday because I was at the gym and I saw that and was like, oh no. No. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, my heart sank. Yeah, dude, seriously. Just like, man, like, there's a video of him in the Criterion closet. Oh. And, like, the movies he picks out. Like, he grabs, like, the Night of the Hunter and shit. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Night of the uh, Hunter. Classic yeah. movie. Yeah, dude. Like, consistently ranked, like, second best movie of all time after Citizen Kane. Oh. Well, and just the other, uh, like, very recently, someone on the Wire uh, subreddit was like, hey, I was just biking in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and I looked up, and Michael K. Williams just was right there. Yeah. Just, just living his life. Yeah, he, dude, there's there's a famous, like, little bit of him and Anthony Bourdain walking around. I think I think it was for fucking um, Bourdain's show, and they go into a restaurant, and they just run into the actor that played Marlo Stanfield, and like, oh, okay, so they just, like... <laughs> So they just sit down to eat with him. The but other yeah, yeah. scarred genius from The Wire. Yeah. Yeah. Marlo Sanchez is not a man for this town, but Jamie Hector certainly is. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, uh, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was a shocker. It sucked. Okay, now, did so you guys... 
before we dive in, I guess we should I guess we should officially say we're going to start the show. And the only reason that I bother to do that, Matt, is because this is my audio cue when I'm listening back and editing to put the uh, the theme song in. We're going to do yeah. it here. Welcome to the show, folks. We've got Matt. We've got Evan. We've got me, Cam. We're talking The Wire. We're talking whatever. Evan's got yeah. some shit planned for talking after that. Yeah. Welcome to Left Unread. Spoilies included up to season three, episode seven. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah, 2021. As long yeah. as you're not malicious with it, you can you can spoil a little bit. If the people haven't seen this shit by now, myself included. If yeah. people haven't seen this shit by now, myself included, then then we, we yeah. deserve a little bit. Just don't go nuts. But you can talk it's, about the show. Yeah, it, it would be like if we were talking about The Sopranos and we're like, yeah, so, you know, at the end, the death scene. And somebody's just like, right. whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I know, I know yeah, a little right. bit. It's a little bit's been ruined for me. You know, as long as you don't rub my nose in it, it won't it won't bug yeah. me none. I, I accidentally. Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. I accidentally spoiled one of the very biggest spoilers of The Wire for myself before, like years before even watching it. So really? I, I knew this thing the whole time, and it's it didn't matter. It was still a very, very Wait, powerful. Which season thing. does it happen? Exactly. Uh, oh, end of season five, my friend. Like, oh, the, okay. The, the spoiler of all spoilers of that show. Okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I mean... So when when did you guys hear about this show or Michael K. Williams in general? Is this your first experience with him as an actor or um, did you see Boardwalk I, Empire first or something like that? No, so I definitely watched The Wire first. I've watched most of Boardwalk Empire. I stopped somewhere at the end of season three, but I do keep meaning to go back. I love Chalky as well. He's great in that. He's actually not a lot of people talk about the show The Night Of. He's also amazing in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays a very similar character to Omar. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't remember when I, I think the first time I watched The Wire, it must have been like seven years ago or something like that. Seven mm-hmm. or eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not, yeah. The Wire was my first experience with him, but I didn't hear about it from Evan first, uh, which is weird because almost these days, I will say from the age like 28 or 29 on, basically every movie or every TV show I watch is like filtered through Evan. <laughs> and The Wire is a weird exception. Now, I knew Evan liked it, but it was a buddy at work who was like, listen, man, you have to watch The Wire. And it's this fucking weird-ass dude that I work with that I grapple with liking slash despising, and he's he's such a quirky dude. But he mm-hmm. went on like a 20, 20 to 25-minute diatribe about how The Wire is the greatest television program ever produced. And he sold me so hard. And then yeah, I yeah. remember talking to Evan and Evan being like, yeah, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. he's completely right. You should watch this show. And so yeah, I, mean, I started like the character it. character progression in it, like, dude, like, Prez Belusky. Oh, <laughs> like, just the way that the characters, like, completely transform over the series yeah. is yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah it's, you, it's you, hear about, you hear about Jamie Lannister's redemption arc ain't shit no nothing fuck nothing yeah nothing to the prez dude yeah dude (laughs) yeah man this this show's got everything that people who like game of thrones like about game of thrones plus Mm -hmm. it's like well written well acted and like perfectly realized brutal with the deaths dude they just start fucking hacking people away like main characters like immediately yeah i, I mean the, the cold open to the entire show is uh 
is yeah. a guy chalked out in the, on the, in the middle of the street. Yeah. Um, and, but Game of Thrones, The Wire, both shows have uh, Aiden Gillen. Yeah, that's yes, right. They do. Yeah. 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 Is he Kenny. the only? Is he the only crossover? I believe so. Yes. Which is yeah. funny um, because HBO famously very incestuous with their casting. Well, I mean, dude, so, the, the the actor who plays Bodhi has been in like was in like every late nineties through like two thousands. Well, HBO and pretty show. much almost everybody who was in at least the first couple seasons of The Wire are also in Oz. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yep. Lance Reddick, um, J.D. Williams, who's Bodie, yep. um, uh, Seth Gilliam, who's Carver. Yeah, yeah. I think Deirdre Lovejoy is in it as well. Herc is in it, too. Herc is, Herc is in it. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's so Herc. many crossovers. And then there are a couple, like, so Michael K. Williams and J.D. Williams are both in The Sopranos very briefly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is Bodie. So is Bodie. Yeah, so J.D. Williams, that is, that, that's... Oh, that's, that is Buddy? Okay, yeah. 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 Um, and then, the, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Gail Bedecker, he is in season five of The Wire. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's uh, he's in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he plays a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. A little fucking sniveling <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, I uh, I discovered the show around 2013. I was heavily into Breaking Bad at that point. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. no one could convince me that that there was a better show out there than Breaking Bad. You got me yeah. into Breaking Bad, and I don't remember how I just came into Breaking. I think I was my girlfriend at the time, and I were trying to just find something to watch. We'd heard good things about that. We we were hooked. You know, 20 minutes into the pilot, but. Um, then it was a couple of months later that uh, our our mutual friend he told me, "Oh, dude, The Wire makes Breaking Bad look like kindergarten." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, "No, you're fucking wrong," and I was like angry at him. Yeah. For insulting Breaking Bad like that, and, and then, then you watched it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so my first my first experience with that show, I, I maybe watched six episodes, and I had no fucking idea what was going on. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't connect dots. I couldn't understand especially like the cop lingo. Yeah. Right. You know. And they, they just toss you right into this world. They don't hold your hand at all. I had I could not follow it. Yep. I took a little break and then I came back to it because I just I trusted Andrew's uh opinion so much that what I started doing was I would watch an episode and then I would read the Wikipedia article about that episode. Right. Yep. And that took you know there's six or seven episodes before I didn't need that uh, that little handicap anymore. Yep. And I, I think six episodes is really when its its talons are in you like permanently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think had so. to watch the pilot twice. The first time I watched the pilot, it didn't stick. And then like maybe like six months later or something, I was like, you know what, I'll try it again. And I did, and then I was just like hooked immediately. Yeah. I probably would have done the same thing except that I'd have like multiple of my most trusted friends recommend that I stick through it. So I did power through it, but I probably would have done the same. Well, and you had your, you had your twenties out of the way by the time you started. Yeah. I was, I was old. Yeah. We were, we were a little green men. Yeah. 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 A little sniveling shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Two years out of two or one or two years out of UMass. I was, I was a gnarled brown man. (laughs) <laughs> an old brown man. Yo, Bob, is he gonna make me brat? 
<laughs> all right. Well, uh, as much as we all love The Wire, I actually ended up accidentally writing a bit longer of an episode than I initially intended. So I think uh, I think we should move on to that. And, well, uh, before Matt, we can... do, let's just let's just say Michael yeah. K. Williams, rest in power, oh, man. Yeah. One of our all time faves. If you haven't seen The Wire, and I haven't finished it, but if you haven't seen The Wire, he's got one of the most iconic roles in film history, I would say. Yeah. And uh, obviously a storied career after that, but it's really, 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 really worth watching. So to everyone listening, if you're not familiar, get familiar. Go watch. Yeah. I'm sad to to say that I don't don't know a lot of his work outside of – Boardwalk and The Wire. I really can't pinpoint things that he's done, which which I feel I feel ashamed over. But I know he was originally going to be in um that Han Solo movie, and he was going to play this like big like weird lion alien. But he had to back out because of the reshoots, and they recast him with um what was that guy? He was like the head of the syndicate. I forget who the actor is that plays him. It's the other uh, that guy from the Marvel movies uh, that plays Vision. Oh. Uh, yeah, Welsh I can't actor. Think his name. I don't remember his name, but he's Welsh. All right. Anyway, well, season season four of season four and five are Omar's greatest arcs. So yeah. Cam, you have a lot to look forward to. Yep. Um, Omar specific, I think, is low point in season three. There's just they didn't really have a lot for him to do. Yeah. Um, except for at the very end. Uh, yeah. but again, yeah, yeah, not yeah. gonna not gonna ruin much for you. But yeah. it's. Yeah. Well, we, if this we, is we, his we low point, if this is his low it. point, I'm happy it because is. he is still fucking shit up in season three. Yeah. And it, it just you, you you don't even you can't even guess where it's going at this point. Yeah, I, mean, I, gonna, I have no interest in it's guessing. Gonna, it's gonna fuck your world up. <laughs> anyway, Michael, rest in peace. It was a it was a terrible oh, loss. We, but at, if there's any good, it brought us together to do this. Yep. Yeah, we finally got our favorite left on red listener on the podcast, yeah. and if, <laughs> if that's what it takes, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that, man. You have, uh, you have been with us since yeah. day one, so we're we're honored to have you on. So and, we yeah, hope that you. We're, uh, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're very happy to bring you on for uh, what I uh, what I will I guess tease as probably the most fucked up one, at least that I've written uh, that I've written yet. So. <laughs> Well, I am actually going to leave you to it. I have a couple of job interviews in the morning, so oh, I got to right. I got to get like my 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 good good sleep, you know. Okay, all right. So I will let you guys do your thing and your element, and I cannot wait to skip this entire part of it on Friday when it comes out, so I don't have to hear my voice talking back to myself. <laughs> all right, man. To well, the, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. All right, yeah, thanks for having thank me. Thank you guys. so much for coming on, Matt. Uh, is right, there anything guys. that you want to plug before you leave? Um, actually, so I'm in this new band. I play drums for who, who, anyone out there who's listening who doesn't know me. Um, I'm in this new band based in Manchester, New Hampshire. We're called Villains. Uh, we yep. are releasing our first single, I believe, as early as this Saturday. It's called Blues Lawyer. Okay. It's fucking great. Uh, so check it out. Spotify, Tidal, uh, wherever the fuck. Yeah, well, we'll throw the links into the, uh, into the show notes. Hell yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Hi, Matt. All right, see you later, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Some people say a man is made out of mud. 
poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store I was born one morning All right, all right. well, I guess on to the rest of the episode Yeah, yeah, we uh, really appreciate Matt coming on Thanks, Matt, we'll have to do it again uh, But time for the uh, the bloody business of the episode Which is our first foray into some of the most insane shit that happened <laughs> in, uh, in you know, the middle part of this past century. So let's get into the curious case of Frank Olson. Let's do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so I envision, I envision this as being a new miniseries, but it's not going to be serial. It will be like an episodic miniseries. So I'll try to keep every episode into, you know, individual installments and you can... Listen to them in any order that you want. Um, but this one is about a man named Frank Olson who worked for the Army and uh, the CIA. And he uh, had a really bad weekend, which led to the end of his life back in the year 1953. All right. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whomst amongst us. So, as I said, the year is 1953. And it's late November. So close to that uh, Frankie Valley song. <laughs> In the fourth, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the central the Central Intelligence Agency is in the early stages of its mind control program at this point, codenamed Project MK Ultra. Hell yeah! As well as their biological warfare program, codenamed Project MK Naomi. Nice. <clears throat> yep. So I really wonder if that one was named after one of their wives. Yeah. Really well, also up. backwards, <laughs> it's I Moan, which you know. Nice. Important to know. Okay. Yeah, they were definitely, definitely doing that. <laughs> Just not, not with pleasure. <laughs> right. But, uh, Moaning with, uh, with, with pain, agony. With, with your tongue being swallowed down your throat. But um, so this project was sanctioned earlier in the year under le- under the leadership of Sidney Gottlieb, the chemist, spymaster, and poisoner in chief of the CIA. So as a brief overview of MKUltra, a subject I intend to go more in-depth on in the future, and something that will continue to pop up throughout the uh, this series, the Amer- American Haunting series, the project was designed under Dulles's CIA after he became the Director of Central Intelligence, and, as I said, led by Sid Gottlieb, and was a continuation of various other projects intended to experiment with mind control, interrogation techniques, drug addiction, and assassination. Overall, the CIA was convinced that somehow the communists in China and Russia had developed mind control techniques that were utilized during the Korean War due to the sheer number of American POW defections or POWs that came back with communist sympathies. So it was pretty much commonplace that you would see it a lot on TV, especially in these countries or, you know, on the radio, that American POWs, they were openly admitting to having committed war crimes in the Korean War. And a lot of them were defecting, or they would come back to the U.S. and have less than staunch American sympathies, you know, and, and much more sympathetic to, to the communists. You guys might have just heard one of their spy planes flying overhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The CIA is actively surveilling my domicile. Yes. 
Uh, now, of course, a much saner take of the situation would be that the American-led coalition committed extensive war crimes, the ones that they were admitting to, yeah. and engaged in mass murder throughout the peninsula, which this is all documented true. You know, we can yeah. look back on it. <laughs> if and you're surprised the- that the United States was committing war crimes as early as the Korean War, you're, well, you're missing Especially- a few things. Especially after I've just spent a couple episodes talking about how the Americans were bringing the Nazi war criminals into the apparatus. And again, <laughs> you shouldn't necessarily take everything that we say as uh, as gospel, but Evan does his research pretty pretty yeah. extensively. Um, yeah, these are like <laughs> scholarly books and articles. I'm going to for this. Right. We're not. We're not like. We're not using the. Uh, the stuff that's YouTube. on the the edge. We're not using YouTube. Yeah. We're not using. We're yeah. using we're using real shit. We're uh, using books with a lot of footnotes, and I do check my yes. footnotes. <laughs> there yeah. are a lot of footnotes, folks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but so, as I said, uh, this these war crimes and committing these like atrocities, there was extensive American use of biological warfare, especially which at this point is, you know, I believe was outlawed after World War One. <laughs> But uh, there was extensive use of biological warfare on the peninsula by America. And this, you know, probably just led the soldiers to question the motives behind the war. But, so as I said, MK Ultra was a continuation of other projects such as Bluebird and Artichoke that had focused more on interrogation. Especially big with Artichoke was uh, trying to get people to, under hypnosis, commit, uh, do things that they wouldn't normally do, such as, I don't know, assassinate political leaders. Oh, Sirhan, Sirhan. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, literally, one of the artichoke projects was getting somebody to fire blanks at uh, at somebody to make it look like they were assassinating them so that other people could actually do it and get away. But I digress. So the CIA apparatus at this point was still in its infancy and trying out a ton of different tactics, mainly regime change abroad with varying success, and mind control experimentation at home. The CIA's charter had expressly forbid it from operating on American soil, but that was almost immediately subverted upon its creation, as the CIA became not just a player in American politics, but the actual power behind the curtain. So in these early days, the CIA had become convinced that the key to unlocking mind control was through a newly discovered compound, lysergic acid diethylamide, also known as LSD, or acid. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, LSD, brother. Heal yeah. So LSD was discovered ten years earlier in 1943 during World War II. It was in Basel, Switzerland, because it always fucking comes back to Switzerland, uh, <laughs> at the Sandoz Chemical and Drug Research Lab. One afternoon, Dr. Albert Hoffman was at work in his lab when he suddenly became restless, clearly inebriated and dizzy, but unlike any sensation he had ever had. He left work early, wobbling around on his bicycle home. He began to have incredible visions over the next uh, few hours. Quote, an uninterrupted stream of fantastic images of extraordinary plasticity and vividness, accompanied by an intense kaleidoscope-like play of colors, according to his words. He correctly assumed he had accidentally ingested one of the drugs he was working with that day, LSD, a drug he had first produced in his lab five years earlier. After this, the CIA would become obsessed with the drug, believing it to be the key to control they were looking for. And they would buy truly insane amounts of the drug from the 40s through to the 60s before deciding, well, I guess it didn't work as we hoped. Well, you know, it's Except probably going to work out okay. Yeah. Although it did work pretty much how they hoped a few times, yeah. maybe. 
Yeah. Maybe. So Who knows? So for the early CIA, and this is like one of the most insane parts. Like for a story of insane things that the CIA was doing to other people, this, I'm sorry, is like one of the most deranged. So dosing people unwittingly with LSD was just a normal business day. As a matter of fact, they all decided that they would just do it to each other. So while they were trying to figure out what they had, there was an understanding in the CIA office under Sid Gottlieb that you, as an employee, could be dosed at any time by LSD and observed by your colleagues <laughs> to understand its effects. Can you so, imagine, like, applying for a job and they were like, listen, your your references are great. You look awesome. We're really happy to have you on board. The last thing thirsty? is that we need to, like, we need to just check yeah. with you. Are you okay with being dosed with LSD at any random point Anytime. and then just having yeah. us observe you like a test oh, subject? Dude. And they're just fucking doing it constantly. Like, they are just like, you would, like, get your buddy a coffee, boom. Like, you know what I mean? LSD. Just, like, dropping. And they didn't know. They weren't giving you, like, baby hits. Like, this was, like, early days LSD where Real you took deal. a hit. Real you fucking deal. out of your mind. And Real so, deal LSD. So you might want to consider grabbing a coffee on the way into the office instead of from the pot in the break room. All right, so we will travel to November 1953. To a retreat featuring the Army Chemical Corps Special Operations Division, from here on out, I'll call the SOD, mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland. Are they like POD? The rap yeah, rock uh, band uh, from the late 2000s? They're not, shut up. Uh, okay. At this point, the knowledge of the U.S. government's use of covert biological warfare was under tight control, and few knew how, knew how the U.S. could and did kill or incapacitate selected people with biological weapons. This was a joint project behind the technical services staff, the TSS, of the CIA, the group that would develop the gadgets, disguises, forgeries, weapons, etc. of clandestine operations and the SOG of the Army. So let's go to the retreat. Uh, so Sid Gottlieb had made up his mind that this three-day work retreat uh, even though he had been under advisement not to use LSD without permission from above, Gottlieb felt that dosing the SOD men would have been roughly the same as giving it to his office workers, which was allowed. The SOD and TSS men who collaborated on Project MK Naomi would get together twice a year to hold a planning session at a remote site where they could brainstorm in secret and isolation. MK Naomi was a joint venture between the TSS of the CIA and the SOD of the Army, and was essentially linked and concurrent with MK Ultra, but with MK Naomi being more dedicated to biological warfare. Hell yeah. So the site was in western Maryland at Deep Creek Lodge, a log building deep in the woods of Appalachia on a mountain lake. There was a team from the SOD, of which Dr. Frank Olson was a member, and it included Dr. John Schwab, the founder of the SOD, and Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Ruitt, its chief and also good friends with Frank Olson. Sid Gottlieb led the team from the agency. They disguised themselves as wildlife writers and lecturers on holiday, and they were unlikely to see anyone else aside from maybe the occasional hunter. Once together at the lodge, they would split off into smaller specialized groups to plan out MK Naomi. Nice. Among the things developed... Nice. Among the things developed nice. under MK Naomi were the shellfish toxin-containing suicide pills, most famously not used by Francis Gary Powers in his, doomed, <laughs> uh, in his doomed flight over the Soviet Union in 1960. Uh, so he had had a drill bit coated with the toxin and hidden inside a silver dollar, but when he was shot down and captured near Sverdlovsk, now Yekaterinburg, 
that's the region discussed in episode 12. Yeah, we talked about that in the Dyatlov Pass episode. Yeah. But uh, when he was uh, shot down, he presumably looked at and said, no, fuck that, I'll take prison. That's cool. (laughs) 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 So... uh, uh, so this shellfish toxin, which was pretty infamous for the CIA, um, it was not great for assassinations as it pretty much immediately killed people. So the assassin could not easily get away. And uh, the preferable one to use was botulinum, which took around eight to 12 hours to kill and let the ed- agent get away. And it was during the mafia CIA co- uh, collaborations to kill Fidel Castro that botulinum featured heavily in these uh, harebrained plots. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, the CIA had developed so many poison pills that they could simulate diseases that occurred only in specific locales. Gottlieb himself had carried a bacteria native to West Africa to the Congo in a plot intended to kill Patrice Lumumba, but the plan was scrapped before Lumumba was assassinated in a different scheme. I mean, they, these guys were just like coming up with 50 fucking different ways to kill every son of a bitch that they decided they didn't want in power. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, and we're not just okay these... with it, frankly. Yeah, we are against assassination. Um, so besides just these toxins and bacteria used to kill targets, another task of MK Naomi was the delivery systems. One of the most famous is a dart gun fashioned from a forty-five pistol that was displayed at a Senate hearing by ex-DCI, that's Director of Central Intelligence, mm-hmm. William Colby. They also developed aerosol sprays that could be remote control fired, such as a fluorescent starter that was activated by turning on a light. A cigarette lighter that, when sprayed, you know, you would ignite it. It would spray a deadly toxic, like a deadly gas that would kill everybody in the room or kill people like immediately. And that fucking rules. And, like, who wouldn't want that? Yeah, yeah. It's like Dune when he bites his tooth. And then, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then an engine head bolt that shot off when the engine heated. Uh, as it was said, everybody breathes, but you might not get them to eat. <laughs> Jesus, so, that's demented. So, so Frank Olson himself was a specialist in the airborne delivery of disease, and he had been working in the field since 43 when he first arrived at Fort Detrick as one of the original military officers in the United States Biological Warfare Program. By the end of the war, he had developed painful ulcers and was medically discharged from the uniform military, but he stayed on as a civilian. He eventually joined SOD on its creation in 1950 and rose to acting chief of SOD, but his ulcers flared up and he requested to be transferred to the lesser post of a branch chief. He was well-loved by all of his colleagues and friends and was a fan of practical jokes, but he kept a lot of his inner feelings to himself like most people at the time. His greatest passion was his family, and he spent much of his free time playing with his three kids. So it's at this point I'm going to stop for a brief second and tell everybody that at this point in the story, I am going off of uh, an older narrative. So this is the narrative as it existed in the 70s. Uh, really, this was around the time that, um, uh, you know, the CIA was under under a lot of intense review because of the things that it had been doing. And so a lot of things got declassified. And there was this book written in 1979 called The Search for the Manchurian Candidate. Now, so all of this stuff is early on. In the, you know, 40 years since this book came out, there's been a ton more research on it. And so after I give you this, the official story, with a little bit of the early details, we're going to go back and look at it uh, with some new details that have come to light over the last you know few decades. So just giving you that brief aside, in case you know the story and you're yelling at me that this didn't happen or it's a little bit different here, just know that I know that it is a little bit different. This is just originally what was known.
but the cry And nobody's crying but me So back to the retreat. Olsen, as usual, did everything expected of him for his first two days at the lodge and attended all of the sessions. After dinner on Thursday, November 19th, all but two of the men present shared a drink of Cointreau that, unbeknownst to them, had been spiked with LSD by Sid Gottlieb. Nice. Of the two yeah, of the two abstentions, one had a heart condition and the other was a recovering alcoholic. Gottlieb would later try to minimize his culpability in investigations by saying he had discussed unwitting testing with everyone present earlier, but everybody else denied that Gottlieb had had that conversation with any of them before spiking the drink. So after 20 minutes, everybody just sitting around and talking, Gottlieb stops the conversation and he asked everybody, who, um, <clears throat> who later reported that they still felt normal until this moment, but he asked them if anybody had noticed anything wrong. Suddenly, everyone became aware that they were under the influence of some drug, and the meeting deteriorated into boisterous laughter and conversation. Totally normal. So two of the spooks there got into a night-long philosophical conversation. <clears throat> Ruet claimed it was the most frightening experience I ever had or hope to have, and Frank Olson was despondent. I mean, wouldn't you be also? According to one of the attendees, Olsen was psychotic. He couldn't understand what happened. He thought someone was playing tricks on him. One of his favorite expressions was, you guys are a bunch of thespians. Olsen and most of the, uh, yeah. Olsen and most of the others became increasingly comfortable and could not sleep. And the following morning, Olsen was still agitated and disturbed with several of his co along with several of his colleagues. Again, reasonable. They all straggled home during the day. Yeah, I can imagine. So when Olsen returned home before dinner that evening, Alice Olsen, his wife, recalled he said nothing. He just sat there. Ordinarily, when he came back from a trip, he'd tell me about the things he could, what they had to eat, that sort of thing. Yeah. During dinner, I said, it's a damned shame the adults in this family don't communicate anymore. He said, wait until the kids get to bed and I'll talk to you. Classic. Later that night, Frank Olsen told his wife he had made a, quote, terrible mistake that his colleagues had laughed at and humiliated him. Alice tried to reassure her husband that they were his friends and loved him and would never laugh at him, but he wouldn't tell her anymore. He tried to bottle up all of his feelings afterwards, but apparently there was now a growing suspicion in him that someone was out to get him. You don't say. Alice knew little about her husband's work in biological warfare, only really knowing that he would always complain about the painful shots he had to take, keeping up to date on 10 to 20 immunizations just to enter the building. He showered upon entering and leaving the building every day, so he rarely bathed at home. I would imagine so, considering all the shit he was around. <laughs> when the Dietrich employee died of anthrax, <laughs> wee wee spook sensors going off. That's right. American intelligence has a long history developing and producing a particular strain of anthrax that is only produced in America. <laughs> I'll just leave oh, that there. Yeah. That sweet American anthrax. <laughs> that has popped up in that particular strain in one very particular instance in American history, but I digress, even though it is getting close to that time, you know? But, uh, so, again, you know, spook alarms going off there, but, so Frank told his wife that anthrax poisoning was, pa was pneumonia. Or that case of anthrax. Oh, sure. Now, these were the small glimpses into the work life of her husband that Alice was allowed to see. Working for the S uh, SOD as John Marks, author of 
the search for the maturity can put it, Fort Dietrich was built on the principle of concentric circles, with secrets concealed inside secrets. To enter the inner regions where SOD operated, one needed not only the highest security clearance, but a need-to-know authorization. Her husband was not about to break out of a career of government-imposed secrecy to tell her about the top-secret experiment that Sid Gottlieb had performed on him. Rose before hose. Olsen spent the weekend in a deep depression, with Alice calling it a rotten weekend. On Monday, Olsen returned to work still agitated and asked his boss, Ruit, to either fire him or let him quit. Ruit had to reassure him that his behavior on the retreat was above reproach, and Olsen, seemingly relieved, spent the rest of the day on standard SOD business. That evening, Got it. Olsen seemed almost normal again, having a lighthearted evening. Just a normal old regular <clears throat> evening. The following morning, Olsen was again in a depressed state and told his boss, Ruit, that he felt all mixed up and he questioned his own competence, upset about leaving the army during the war because of his ulcers, and said he did not have the ability to perform his present or work. Could be all the LSD. Ruet at this point, decided that Olsen needed psychiatric help, and, since the CIA caused this to begin with, he called Gottlieb's deputy Robert Lashbrook to arrange for Olsen to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> Smart. So Gottlieb and Lashbrook hurriedly met and arranged for Olsen to travel to New York to see Dr. Harold a Abramson was not a psychiatrist <laughs> <laughs> he was an allergist and in and immunologist interested in treating <laughs> problems of the mind great choice he was chosen by gottlieb because he had the top secret cia security clearance including working with lsd under government contract for years in situations like what olsen found himself in the cia security and medical teams kept a long list of doctors who were approved to treat people under top secret clearance <laughs> Of course, Gottlieb hid this from them as he did not want it to get out and he, that he had violated directives to get approval for LSD experimentation on people outside of his office. No shit. And so, he did not seek this list of approved doctors and psychiatrists and went over the head of the Office of Security and picked someone on his own. An allergist. With Gottlieb formulating plans of his own now, he sent Olsen to New York with Lashbrook and Ruit. Olsen at this point was fluctuating constantly between depression and improved symptoms, and he continually slipped into paranoid thoughts, thinking now that the CIA itself was out to get him and was sneaking a stimulant into his coffee to keep him away. Which is like a totally ridiculous thing to assume. How could you yeah, ever? They don't, how could you yeah, they would, ever assume that of the CIA? Yeah, they wouldn't slip a stimulant. They'd give you more LSD, you fucking idiot. Yeah, what are you, dumb? <laughs> um, so so <laughs> they Olsen think, you saw, think you want them? You think they want you stimulated? No. Not even in the slightest. Yeah. You're now a subject of MK Ultra, bud. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> cordially Olsen... invited. Yeah. yeah. So Olsen saw Abramson at his office in New York, and then at 1030 in the evening, Abramson showed up at Olsen's hotel room with a bottle of bourbon and a bottle of the sedative Nembutal. <laughs> even in the 50s, this was not a normal prescription for, for severe depression and paranoia like Olsen was experiencing. Yeah. Fucking no shit. So before another appointment with Abramson the following day, Ruett and Lashbrook brought Olsen to see a magician named John Mulholland. Mulholland was under TSS contract to prepare a manual for applying, quote, the magician's art to covert activities. <laughs> a master of sleight of hand could easily learn new and better ways to covertly slip unwitting suspects, drugs, and poisons. This is what Gottlieb had hired him to do, among other things. Lashbrook thought seeing the magician would amuse Olsen, but it naturally set off his paranoia alarms again, and they got him out of there and to see Abramson again, who let him go home the next day for Thanksgiving dinner. Good call. 
On that Wednesday evening, the three men went to see a play, but Olsen became paranoid during the first act, telling Ruit that he knew there were men outside waiting to arrest him. Then uh, take him back to, they took him back to the Statler Hotel that they were staying at, Olsen and Ruit sharing a room. Okay. Olsen snuck out during the night, tore up his paper money, and threw his wallet down a chute. Love that. Ruit and La- yeah, Ruit and Lashbrook found him at 5.30 a.m. weighing in the Statler lobby, ready to leave with his hat and coat on. So he gets rid of his identification, and he's like, all right, but I'll wait for them. <laughs> right. Um, so he's just all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so they flew back to Washington, and after being picked up and started on the way back to Frederick, Olsen had the driver pull over, and he told Ruit that he could not see his family in his present state, uh-huh. thinking he would become violent with his children. Jesus. Ruit suggested they return to New York to see Dr. Abramson, and Olsen agreed. The two made their way to Lashbrook's place, where he summoned Sid Gottlieb. Ah, Sid. The four agreed to have Ruit return to Frederick to explain the situation to Olsen's family, and for Ruit to be able to return to to his own. Lashbrook alone would take Olsen back to New York. Okay. So as I said earlier, Ruit is Olsen's old friend, but Lashbrook was just a CIA man, an acquaintance of Olsen's. Eric Olsen, uh, um, his son, Frank's son, believes this arrangement caused his father's mental state to deteriorate even further. You don't say. <clears throat> so, the two, Olsen and Abramson, arrive back in New York. Or, at first they go to his office, and then they ate a joyless... Uh, or they, Sorry. The two saw Abramson at his office, and then they went and enjoyed a joyless Thanksgiving dinner at a local restaurant. So, this is back Jeez, in New York. That's depressing. Finally, on Friday morning, Abramson realized he was in way over his head and suggested <laughs> Olsen be hospitalized because, at this point... He was in a, quote, psychotic, psychotic state with delusions of persecution. Kind of sounds like he's been there for a week. Yeah. Um, so Olsen agreed to enter a sanitarium with CIA-cleared psychiatrists, but he could not be admitted until the next morning. Okay. So Lashbrook and Olsen got a room on the 10th floor of the Statler for one last oh, night. Oh, man. Oh, no. Olsen at this point felt relieved and his spirits revived, and so he called his wife for a pleasant talk for the first time since he had initially left for New York. She felt better. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> in the early hours of the morning, Lashbrook woke up just in time to see Frank Olsen. Oh, Frank Olsen crash through the closed <laughs> window. With... Yeah, imagine. In the early hours of the morning, Lashbrook woke up just in time to see Frank Olsen crash oh, through so the closed window with the blinds drawn while in a dead run. Jesus. The cover-up began immediately as a crowd gathered around the shattered body of Olsen lying on the ground. Holy shit. Gottlieb was notified by Lashbrook before he called the police. Then Abramson, who wanted to be kept out of the thing completely, uh-huh. he then called yeah. back and offered to assist. When the police questioned Lashbrook, he said he worked for the Defense Department and that he had no clue why uh, Olsen killed himself, but yeah. that he suffered from ulcers. <laughs> the detective said getting information out of Lashbrook was like pulling teeth. At first, they thought it was, quote, homicide with homosexual overtones. But they, <laughs> yeah. but they dropped their... murder. It's like yeah, this is murder, just, but, but it's this but is it's a gay murder. Gay. Yeah. yeah, it's got all the hallmarks of a classic gay murder. Yeah, we've been doing our research. Case on closed. This. Case closed, boys. No need to investigate further. Gay murder. But they dropped their inquiries when Ruit and Abramson verified the sketchy story of Lashbrook and then invoked high government connections. There it is. Gottlieb finally felt compelled to admit details about the Olson case. The director himself, Alan Dulles. There he is. Personally ordered, yeah, the Dulles music. I don't know. We got to get boy. some Dulles theme. Yeah. We got to find something for Alan Dulles. I think it's going to yeah, be just... Mother by Danzig. Because <laughs> I feel like Alan Dulles was a, a mama's boy. 
so I feel like mother is uh is the right choice. I don't I don't know. He seemed like a, he was a sociopath already as a child. All right, anyway, um so Alan Dulles personally ordered the Inspector General to make a full investigation, but first the agency tried to make sure neither they nor LSD were tied to the case. Teams of security officers began scrubbing out any agency trace in New York and Washington and then spied on Abramson's and Lashbrook's conversations. They were obviously working to get their stories straight. They even came up with a lie that Alice Olsen had tried to get her husband to see a psychiatrist months before, which she denies. Many of the reports from Abramson were conflicting, sometimes saying the psychotic state was fomented by the LSD experiment, other times only calling it a therapeutic dose. Eventually, the CIA would both admit that the LSD triggered this suicide, but also in the same breath say the dose was so small that it was practically impossible to cause these effects. Sid Gottlieb, who I will at this point say was born with both a club foot and a stutter <laughs> that he had overcome, uh, he was apparently so scared that the stutter came out when speaking to the Inspector General, which the Inspector General noted proudly and with a wry smile. Like, what relish the fact that he got Gottlieb to yeah. be so flustered that he stuttered again. Yeah, let's, let's, it's a badge of honor. Yep. So, Olsen's family was not informed of the experiment and were left to believe Olsen went mad out of nowhere and committed suicide. The kids were left to believe nice. their father had just walked out on them. <laughs> Eventually, over 20 years later, a report out of the Rockefeller Commission studying illegal domestic CIA operations released a report of a man fitting. Olsen's description uh -huh. leaping out of a New York building after the CIA had given him LSD without his knowledge. Fuck yeah. They read about this in the Washington Post, and after asking Ruit if it was Olsen, he confirmed. Mm. Alice had held no ill will towards Ruit, but called Sid Gottlieb despicable. Yeah. <laughs> the kids compared their father's death to all of the third world families that also had their hopes and dreams dashed against the rocks by the CIA. So Gottlieb and Lashbrook would never again work with SOD, but the CIA would continue experimenting with LSD through MK Naomi and MK Ultra, at least officially, for another 20 years. Right. Officially. So as I said, this is the official story as parsed out in John Marks' 1979 book, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate. So it's a great book, um, you know, for its time, and it was born from the investigations into the CIA that happened during the 70s, such as the Church Committee and the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And there was a bunch of declassified material related to the early CIA that came out. Huh. Since then, a lot more information has come out, shedding more light on the murky details of the official story. <laughs> but Cam, what, what do you think about that? Does that sound plausible? It do sounds you... plausible to me. I mean, I would trust it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, that a man was just dosed with LSD by one of his bosses. Yeah. And went crazy and killed himself. Right. Normal. Standard. And Yeah. I buy it. All right. Well, as I said, a lot more information has come out in the last few <laughs> decades. And let's look at that. Yeah, let's. Hey, everybody, did the news get around about a guy named Butcher Pete? Oh, Pete just flew into this town and he's chopping up all the women's meat. He's hacking and whacking and smacking. And uh, so I, I, I guess I'm going to give some people a content warning here. I'm about to describe some like truly horrific things. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I thought you didn't like content warnings. Well, when did I ever say that? I've, we've done content warnings before. Yeah, and you made fun of me for it. I'm pretty sure I've done one before. Yeah, but when I, I do them, I just make, make fun, fun of, of you in general. Well, yeah, I make fun of you. That's really mean. 
That hurts my feelings. Yeah. That, that sucks. It's anyway, intended to be. Let's just, That's uh, why it's a good insult. Let's just move on from it, I guess. Okay. So, on to the new details. Sure. So, after leaving the police officers, the night manager of the Statler Hotel on that dreadful night in 1953 went to the lobby and, acting on a hunch, asked the phone operator if room 1018A had made any calls recently. That's a good hunch. She replied that she had eavesdropped on a call that was mm. made from there. Uh, now, remember, at this time, calls had to be routed through a switchboard. Right. I don't know if, you've, if you ever watch old 40s and 50s films, you'll probably see that. Yeah. Um, so, operators would uh, routinely eavesdrop. You know, <laughs> fuck it, what else are you going to do? Seriously, um, yeah. And she said a voice from the room had called Long Island at the office of Dr. Abramson. Long the caller Island. said, well, he's gone. And the other voice replied, well, that's too bad. Jesus. <laughs> So Frank Olson was not just a typical SOD scientist. Right. He was a highly ranked scientist with top secret security clearance, intimately involved with some of the most absolutely insane things the CIA performed in its early days. For these CIA men, they had become convinced that the Soviets were working successfully on mind control and would use this for world communist domination. That and they were the only people standing in the way. For this reason, they believed any horrific things they did were fully justified. Right. And to the end of trying themselves to crack the mind control cold, they did. And they also experimented heavily on biological warfare, of which also was a key figure, okay. as discussed before. Right. You know, they believed that unlocking the mind would unlock world domination. And they believed that which that was is... necessary in order to stop communism. Right, yeah. It's a, so again, in the these means. programs, they had some successes and some failures. Um, but... Maybe in the future we'll talk about some of those particular ones. Not today. But for this, yeah. So among Frank Olson's projects were Operation Harness in 1949, which was used to test animals' vulnerability to toxic clouds. Nice. There was also Operation Sea Spray, <laughs> in which dust that was engineered to float like anthrax, oh. again, spook alarms, uh -oh. uh, was released near San Francisco. Dude, oh, I, yeah. He also routinely traveled to Plum Island, to test toxins so deadly they could not be brought to the U.S. Oh, mainland. Shout out Plum Island. Once Olson moved to the CIA, still by way of the SOD in 1953, his work with poisons and gases led to him performing a massive amount of experiments on live animals, Ugh. killing them in various disturbing ways that apparently had an obvious and profound impact on his mental state. Yeah. His son Eric once said that he had come to work early in the morning to see, quote, piles of dead monkeys Jesus and that Christ. this in particular affected him yeah Ugh. so while not being one of the cia's torturers himself he had to witness humans suffer in experiments and sit in on torture sessions he traveled to cia safe houses and watched constant horrific torture sessions on suspected spies or moles security leaks etc often interrogated to death combining drugs hypnosis and torture and as they were subject to brainwashing techniques one of these torture methods, which actually was so brutal the first few times it was done that the CIA didn't want to officially sanction more of it, was uh, it was a terminal study, which just means that the subject will be subjected to it until death. Oh, and it was just called, like, the box. And you would put you know, the subject inside of a box that was too short to stand up oh. and too, too narrow to lay down. Jesus. And you would just keep them in there until they died, and you would just watch it happen. Holy shit. Like, you wouldn't give them anything, you wouldn't give them food, you wouldn't yeah. give them water. It was pitch black, like and you just put them in there and watch them die, and saw how long it took for them to, like, break down mentally before the end. Holy smokes. 
Um, That's horrible. Yeah. <clears throat> so, after the retreat in November, Olsen had now found himself as a subject of MK Ultra, not mm -hmm. just a participant on the other side. Okay. And this experience changed him dramatically. He had already been wavering in his commitment to the programs after seeing it in full effect, and the LSD trip had completely broken him. Mm. Olsen had even been in France when special division scientists were sent to overlook a French village that was mysteriously seized by mass hysteria and violent delirium. This was likely an MKUltra test, and I definitely right. will talk about it in a future episode. But the cause was found to be poisoning by ergot, oh. the fungus used as a precursor to LSD. Okay, I've heard of that. They were fucking doing this to entire villages. Can't that, like, happen naturally, though? Like... I, I remember hearing about the ergot poisoning thing, and, like, do, doesn't that happen? If an entire town is poisoned by it, it was probably, they were probably dosed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so his biological weapons were used in Korea during the war, which the American soldiers' responses, nice. to our weather, our, uh, responses to are what led the U.S. to believe that the communists were brainwashing them. Mm -hmm. The prospect that Olsen could reveal any of this was terrifying to the CIA now that he was going rogue. No shit. Some colleagues said he was very open about his complaints and what he thought of the test. They said he pulled no punches. Not good. His doubts deepened even further when he witnessed a 20-year-old volunteer soldier be subjected to sarin. Uh, they fuck. asked for a volunteer. I'm sure they lied to him about what was happening. Yeah. And they dosed him with sarin, and he began foaming at the mouth, convulsing, and then he died. Oof. And they just watched that happen to see fuck what yeah. would happen. He talked with a staff psychiatrist after and was deeply affected. A month later, he was in Germany studying the effects on dying soldiers mm. of the weapons he created. The same psychiatrist <laughs> wrote a report that he was, quote, deeply disturbed by what he had seen yeah, and had, sure. quote, displayed symptoms of not wanting to keep secret what he had witnessed. Hmm. The psychiatrist followed. There were common interests to protect. <laughs> Five days after his ordeal at the retreat, Olsen was taken to New York to see Abramson, not for his own sake, but because this mess needed cleaning up. And Abramson, again, not a psychiatrist, was THE MK Ultra scientist, and his first loyalty was to the program. He was the scientist most intimately involved with MK Ultra. Hmm. When they had arrived back in Washington, but before Olsen was turned back to New York, he first asked to be let go on his own. They could not do that, they said. He asked to be turned over to the police, again. They could not. Mm. When Olson and Lashbrook decided on the sanitarium, Olson was relieved. He looked forward to it. He talked about the books he was going to read <laughs> and how this would really help him. Yeah. The cover-up after Olson died was textbook. A cleanup was initiated with the security officers in charge, convinced the local police to stop looking into it, and then uh, were utilized in misleading the press. Huh. A fake career, known in uh, espionage parlance as a legend, mm -hmm. uh, was created for Lashbrook who could not be tied to the CIA, much less MKUltra. And the Olsen family would have to be placated and allowed in on some of it. Yeah, So just, just to uh, uh, expand on that legend thing for a minute, mm -hmm. the most famous legend probably in history is that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a communist. Right. That, you know, getting him, and I'm not going to get into that whole thing right now, <laughs> but, you know, the legend is developing this backing story about right. an asset or an agent before they actually do the deed. Right. So that it seems natural. It seems like that's there. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so the agent in charge of cleaning the room, this is gonna, this is a good one, uh, was Agent <laughs> James McSee, okay. later identified as James McCord. Uh -huh. Most famous in a footnote as one of the Watergate burglars. Wow. <laughs> Wild. Um, 
His job was to get rid of the police. Yeah. McCord searched the hotel room and the surrounding ones for any small details, any minutiae, and had Lashbrook play the part of the bereaved friend. <laughs> the two reconvened and brought in Gottlieb, who told Lashbrook to go to Abramson's office and pick up a report to bring to Washington by hand. CIA officers took care of details to clean the rest. Olson dying of a fall became the official narrative. Fuck. What it's worth... Details such as the men ever even visiting that magician asset, John Mulholland, is questioned by those that have cracked the case, such as H.P. Alberelli in his book about the murder, A Terrible Mistake. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, what is most likely is that the LSD trip profoundly affected a man already coming at odds with his job right. and the evils he was party to, and he was finally pushed over the edge and ready to quit and come clean, and the agency killed him to protect its secrets. Holy shit. Fucking diabolical. Yeah. He got taken, like, like directly up to the edge of like the precipice and then pushed over it yeah <clears throat> but yeah, so, so uh you know we you know i know i'm skipping ahead a bit from where yeah. we are in kind of our ca narrative but this is this is the end of where the road we're on now this is right. kind of so by talking about those alice alan dulles episodes around world war ii mm -hmm. i'm laying the stage for uh, the groundwork for what would become the entity that would do these things. And you can already right. see how bringing in people like Otto Skortseni, like Karl Wolf, yeah. like Reinhard Galen, attempting to bring in Hermann Göring, these Evil. people, these Nazi right. you know, experimenters would lead to stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. So. Super fucked. Yeah. So anyway. But um, yeah, so anyway... Uh, sorry for such a downer of an episode about uh, the death that's of kinda what we one do. of our... Yeah. One of our favorite actors, and then also uh, this uh, ghost story here. Spooky. <clears throat> you know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> you have been listening once again to another episode of Left Unread. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. Evan. I'm joined I'm by Cam. my co-host, Cam. That's um, me. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, tell your friends about us. Tell your family. Uh, tell your co-workers. Tell uh, your give dad. Us, uh, Yep, tell your dad, dads, we're, yeah, we're uncles, a dad, nephews. We're a dad podcast. Dad cast. Yeah, we're, we're a dad, dad cast. But, um, yeah, you can send us email at leftonredpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at, and Instagram at leftonredpod. Yeah. Uh, you can follow our personal accounts. You can find the links there or in the show notes. And uh, we just want to thank you for tuning in again and for tuning yeah. in every week. Yeah, seriously. We, uh, we really appreciate all the listeners, and, and yeah. we spend so much time, like, checking our, our online downloads and data and like pouring over what that yeah. means so um, yeah we really appreciate it check patterns yeah exactly. <laughs> we, we check constantly online yeah we really do appreciate um, you guys all sticking with us and checking the show yeah. out so uh yeah thank thanks again and we hope you tune in again next week yep As see always. you later yep. bye <laughs>
night and a rendezvous Your eyes held a message tender Saying I surrender all my love to you Midnight brought a sweet romance I know all my whole life through I'll be remembering you Whatever else I do Midnight 